0: Welcome back to the My Latin Life podcast. Since 2014, My Latin Life has been your trusted guide to traveling and living in Latin America. My guest today is Joe DiGeni. He's been living full time in Latin America for eight plus years, friend of the show, friends with tons of previous podcast guests. So this is going to be an episode with pretty much a true OG of the digital nomad in Latin America space. Joe, how's it going, man? Doing great. Doing great. How are you doing, Vance? Doing well. Drinking coffee. Where are, are you calling in from today? Buenos Aires, Argentina. Buenos Aires. Very nice. I thought a good way to kick off this episode would just be to remind us, like, you're friends with tons of the guys. Um, <laughs> so I think you're friends with Martin Johnson, yeah, of course. Of course. I was, yeah, we actually just
1: went out for breakfast right before this. That's hilarious. Um,
0: who else? Jake Nomada.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, from uh Mazalon, Mazalon crew uh COVID days when that was uh Mazalon was one of the places that just wasn't playing along. Uh found Oh man, here I go into stories. Yeah. Hung out with Jake uh and 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 Yuri and, and I met Yuri before, but I with those guys doing jujitsu in Mazalan, Mexico, early 2021, uh, that, that one city, being that it's a small city and a conservative city, they weren't playing games with COVID. It, it was no bullshit. So I had been posted up in Mexico City and was miserable, like being told to put a kubri Bocas on everywhere I went. Uh, you know, that, that, that was dumb. I didn't want to play along with it. So Mazalan was a place to post up. So I ended up hanging out with,
0: with Jake and uh, the crew there for a while. So, Yuri, I think you know Scotty. Of course. Uh, Dave Perota. Oh, yeah, longtime Mexico City guy, Dave. And do you know OG Vance, the founder of My Latin Life? OG Vance. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was longtime Mexico City. He was there years before I was, I think. Okay. Don't don't keep saying his name though, because I'll have to cut that. <laughs> okay, shoot. Okay, OG Vance. <laughs> <Yeah>. OG Vance. <laughs> I know OG Vance. Of course,
1: yeah, of course, man. He was he's early to the game and uh, pretty much everywhere. So yeah, OG Vance definitely. He was. Uh, it was funny because I had I had known about the blog and the podcast way back in the day, and I just met him out. It was like a, a, a group of us went out to a club, and I was probably chatting with him for like half an hour. He goes, you, you know. Uh, my Latin life. I go, yeah, I've I've read that. I've been reading that blog since I was like, you know, working, a working in a factory, my, my job after college. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's my blog. I go, oh shit, man.
0: I've, I've read a bunch of your articles. So I, I know, uh, I know a G Vance for sure. That's hilarious. Was this in Mexico city? That was Mexico city. Yeah. Probably like 2018, 18, 19 timeframe. Uh huh. What back. can you tell us about uh, the early days of my Latin life, reading about it, maybe it inspired you? Oh, man. I was, uh, when I finished school, I got an environmental science
1: degree, so I was an environmental engineer uh, down in Houston, like the Houston area and the petrochemical plants. So every day I was going into work, I would be listening to like Tropical MBA podcasts and then, you mm-hmm. know, it's a factory. So as long as shit's running, I don't really have that much to do, so I would just be reading travel blogs, like God, I wish I was on the beach right now, or like I, I can't believe I'm 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 doing this shit. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, I would just be reading things like you know how to travel hack, places to go, where to go, in Mexico, Brazil, uh, Colombia was you know even popular back then. This is actually like ten years ago now. Uh, just reading, reading blogs about travel, like travel, lifestyle, uh, remote work, Wi Fi, money, all that stuff. You know, it was, it was a dream 10 years ago. And, you know, it sounds funny saying that now because it's such a common thing, but it was a, it was absolutely a dream for me at that time. It didn't seem possible. No one in my life at that time would have even told me that it's possible. And here we are 10 years later. It's a completely common thing to be working from home and, and, Getting Wi Fi money in a job or as an entrepreneur. So uh, it was, yeah, it was like, I'll call it like the dream phase where it, it was, it seems so unusual, so crazy that you go live in another country long term, uh, mm-hmm. you know, adapt to the culture, but still be working and earning money from the US economy.
0: Yeah, I definitely had uh, a similar story where I was uh working a coding job as a software developer and i was coding to tropical mba and i listened to probably almost every episode at least of the first like five years of it
1: yeah yeah very
0: cool that was it man just thinking
1: like i had like a 30 minute drive into work and i have to get up early to go because i was doing like uh like opposite like going driving outside of the city to the suburbs or like the the country where the factory commute. Yeah, reverse commute I was doing that. I would get up early to do a reverse commute and beat the traffic each way. And man, I would just be like, God, why can't I just wake up and open up my laptop and get to work? Why do I have to go to like a, like a stinky factory, you know, in, in Texas summer, like legit hundred degrees, 110% humidity. I'm going to this, like, you know, I might be doing this when I'm 23, but if I'm doing this when I'm 35, then, uh, then I fucked up. So I feel you on that.
0: Mm -hmm. And Dan Andrews, founder of Tropical MBA, uh, was a previous podcast guest as well. So you guys can look that up. Um, I was very kind of proud to get him on the podcast because uh, they were a big influence on me uh, early on. Because I think I probably started listening to that in 2000, definitely by 2016. I was listening to the Tropical MBA podcast and then to interview him in 2021 was pretty cool. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Uh I, I listened to that man. It must have been twenty thirteen, fourteen when I was when I was listening to Tropical NBA all the time and so had a job. I think I quit my I think I quit my last like corporate job in twenty fifteen. So I've been gone for a minute now.
0: I feel like in some ways they made it seem harder than it really was. Because they'd be like they'd be in Bali at the only internet cafe and they'd be, and they'd be like, our internet sucks, like we're barely getting by. I don't know, and, yeah. I don't know
1: Asia that well. I've I've been to Thailand and Philippines a little bit. I haven't I haven't been to Bali, but man, a lot of the world doesn't have Wi Fi. Like doesn't have Wi-Fi very good. And I don't know. I think Asia's coming up faster than south america mm-hmm. but i would bet man like geographically even in terms of reasonably big-sized cities i bet between half and two-thirds of cities over a million people in south america or in latin america don't have workable wi-fi and i mean workable wi-fi you're talking like 30 megabytes download, maybe 10 upload, just workable. Not even two thir-
0: two thirds of cities with more than a million people. Yeah. I, I would, I mean, without, without like writing it all out, you think about it because a million
1: is not a big city. There's a bunch that I don't even know what they are all throughout Central America, all throughout, uh, like Argentina, Brazil, uh, have a few big cities. Argentina's actually got decent infrastructure because it was founded on foreign investment from the uh, yeah. UK and Spain. So Argentina actually has, Argentina has good infrastructure, but they just do an absolute shit job of maintaining it. I uh, oh mean, I feel
0: like we can just go, I can just queue up an Argentina oh, yes. rant right now. I'm not, right I'm not now. sure I fully agree with that because I, I think the Wi-Fi is pretty pretty doable in, in any big city. Don't I mean, get discouraged out there, listeners. I've hopped. I've hopped around Brazil quite a bit, and I would say most of it
1: is the majority of Brazil is is like not workable Wi-Fi. Damn. Uh, yeah, but in terms of Wi-Fi speed, reliability, and like, you know, um, unless you're gonna rent an office downtown, which <laughs> would be insane because uh, it's like a three-year lease. Like the you know just the majority of those cities you wouldn't even have a decent space to work from or it's like really rare to have like a, like a reasonably comfortable apartment to have a home office in. Mm -hmm. Not all of it. it. Like I lived in the South. It's, it's
0: definitely nice there, but you know, it's, it's a huge wealth gap in these parts of the world. So to any listener, I think we're going to talk quite a bit about Brazil in this episode, Brazil, (laughs) Argentina, Brazil, Argentina, and Mexico are the three places where Joe uh, has expertise and opinions. So we're going to get into that. But I thought we should probably do the listener service of about five minutes of an origin story. Again, our guest is Joe Degenny. You can find him on Twitter, at Joe Dejeni. I'll spell that out, uh, J-O-E-D-E-J-E-N-E. And he also has an Instagram where you're going to hit 10K followers real soon. Uh, And it's Joe Dando Show. So Joe, D-A-N-D-O-S-H-O-W. Joe, give us a little bit of your origin story. So I guess you're from Texas? No, no. I grew up in a small town in the Pittsburgh area, born in Ohio.
1: Uh, My pops originally is from Ethiopia, hence the, the foreign last name. There's a bunch of Ethiopians in Columbus, and my parents met there moved to a small town outside of Pittsburgh when I was a kid for work and I grew up there town of 13,000 probably common for uh, your podcast guest. but I grew up in a really small town no diversity there uh, so obviously I wanted the fuck out cold winters not much sun I think Pittsburgh has the second least sunlight of <laughs> any city in the US fact check me on that but I read that in a listicle somewhere like seven years ago so uh, nothing going on the city has actually revitalized itself through tech through like uber and duolingo having big offices there and Mm -hmm. several others Uh, but when i was growing up in in the pittsburgh area in the 90s and early 2000s it was actually the downtime for the city the steel mills had closed you know it's like it's steel city but all that manufacturing had been shipped offshore uh, uh, maybe the previous like 15 20 years I grew up in an old coal mining town called Indiana, and uh, you know the, all the coal mines there had been closed. There was just a school, uh, just a university, it was pretty much the whole economy of my of my hometown, and uh, it's not a it's not a place where like people with where people gain optimism or get optimism. Uh, so that that was always a, a recurring theme. Was like I knew I had to get out of there, uh, both for just any opportunity, but also just because I knew the people who were hanging out there. No offense, any of my friends at home listening are going be, gonna to be pissed at me, but it's just generally not a place where a lot of optimistic people will stay or spend time. So it's just that's just true by the numbers. Uh, so grew up there, went there through school. My mom was a college secretary, single mom, college secretary. So I didn't have a ton of options, but I did go through the environmental science program at our local school. And uh, once I had the chance, moved to Houston, Texas, Got a job as essentially a field engineer, environmental engineer uh, in a plastic factory in the Houston area and uh, worked that job for three years after school. And uh, in my third year working that job, I think probably about a year and a half into that job, a friend of mine, uh, (laughs) I'll just keep going, man. I'm just going to be completely transparent. Keep going. Keep going. I was like, man, you know, like I grew up in a small town. I went to college in the same town that I, uh, that I went to high school in. So it was like 13th grade a lot. So I was just like around the same people a lot. Uh, so I, you know, I didn't like come from having a lot of connections. So this was the early days of like pickup stuff. So this is maybe like 2010 ish. And so I got involved with the pickup community when I was in Houston. It's funny talking about this now. And it's funny because when I was going to, to like the, the layer meetups and all that stuff, I'd go. There'd be maybe like twenty guys show up, and I look around and I'm like, "Yo, I can. Out of these twenty guys here, I can maybe hang out with like one or two of them. Like most of these guys, I'm just like, yo, the vibe they're they're so socially awkward. Like, oh my god. But <laughs> it was good because you know it gets me out and it gets me meeting new people. And I was like 22, 23 at the time, so. Definitely good to make some older friends who who had more world world experience, and one of my friends he had uh, he had come from Saint Croix, so he had like a similar example, ultra smooth dude, uh, my buddy Ken, and uh, and one day after knowing Ken, I, we went to I think that was like his his girlfriend's birthday party, and he hands me a book. He said, "Oh man, this is you know this book is about you know taking a different approach on on how you make money." And, and like potentially start a business. That book was the four hour work week. Mm -hmm. So took that book home, opened it up the next day. I read it in probably about 48 hours. I had the book read and I read it again because I was like, wait a minute, that can't be real. And, uh, and from there it was over. I knew that I was, I knew that I was going to follow that path, you know, like in whatever way I could. So that was, uh, that was what brought me to wanting to explore, wanting to see the world. And then, you know, just the adventure part. Latin America was here. You know, I was in Texas. I was pretty much on the Mexico border. So I was, I was close to it. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, Latin America, South America. always Always had an appeal to me as well. So that was what brought me on the path. Going back to that job that I had. After, that was a year and a half in. My friend handed me that. Probably within six months, I realized like, shit, I just got to replace six grand a month that they pay me. How do I do that? All right. So I can sell something like all these local businesses. Houston's a huge economy. It's not a technology-based economy. It's very hard industry-based. So I was going around like the Plumbers Association meetup, the the Roofers Association meetup, whatever trade show, whatever it was. Go there and pitch people. Hey, I'll build you a website. I'll set up a MailChimp, et cetera, et cetera. I'll set up like a pipe drive account for you so you have a pipeline. Because none of these guys, they don't know nothing. It's like, you know, like a guy with a small crew and one or two vehicles. Mm -hmm. uh, And they just go out and do jobs, but they have no control over, over like bringing anything in. So I'm doing this local marketing, like, you know, like real simple website, mostly for trades. And I was thinking, you know, if I charge these guys two grand to set it up, I do three of these a month. That replaces it, so that was how I got started, and you know I can get referrals, et cetera, et cetera, from there. So that was what did it. That was about a year of uh, working full time and and hustling on uh, on that, and then once I started making money, I was like, well, shit, I'm vested in this job. It only took three years to get vested in the retirement plan that they made because pension was already gone. You know, this is post two (laughs) thousand eight, so pension plans were pretty much gone uh, from from employment. So. I was like, well, what am you know? What am I doing here? Uh, why you know? I'm just working from home. Uh, why am I? Why do I hang out here? Why don't I go? And during this time, I had actually got spent taking a trip down to Brazil and made some friends. Uh, spent like six weeks in Brazil once. Just took a sabbatical from work, and I thought like, well, man, why don't I just go back in, and fucking live down there at half the cost of living of Texas? Uh, so that was that. Took me to about 2015. Uh, and that's that's how I got started in full on uh, on working working abroad, Wi-Fi money, and uh, and you know living in Latin America.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of listeners can probably relate to this origin story. Um, not to say that it's not unique, but it's definitely I can definitely draw parallels to uh, to many people having similar paths. I think it's funny. I think a lot of people did start with the book, the game by Neil Strauss and running around doing PUA stuff for a little bit. And then they find the four hour work week and then they, and then, uh, and you know what I think it is, is because the game sort of whispers to you, like you can, you can improve yourself. Like you can upgrade your, your character and you can, do lifestyle design. Right. Yeah. And so you start upgrading your character in your local town and then you start thinking like, hmm, maybe the dating is going to be better in Miami <laughs> or or New York yeah. City or London or Latin America. And then you, you sort of start improving your life in all types of areas. Maybe you start hitting the gym you start learning about making money online. You pick up the four-hour work week. And then that's another epiphany. And uh, once you have the four-hour work week, it's uh, you're off to the races.
1: I, I have a feeling that anyone under mm, maybe 26, 25, 26, probably might not have ever read four-hour work week or even know it. But if they picked it up, they'd be like, oh, I've already heard all this somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like like for me – uh. Older people always told me Think and Grow Rich was like this ultra life changing book, and I remember reading it. I read the whole thing on a flight and I go, Man, there was nothing of interest, nothing new in there. But at the time it came out, it must have been. Really? I love that book. I thought it was there was nothing to it. But I think I had I think I had read it paraphrased in
0: blogs probably like ten times before I read the source material. I think that's why. So I'm curious. I liked all the, liked all the anecdotes from think and grow rich that you won't get from the paraphrasing where he talks about um, like Andrew Carnegie and uh, the guy, uh, Andrew Carnegie's manager who was making like a million dollars a year, a hundred years ago, because he was that good of a people person. Mm. Mm. Um, I like all the anecdotes. What the four hour work or sorry, the think and grow rich. I have it at my parents' house and every time I go home for Christmas, I reread it kind of during the Christmas break quote unquote um, so that that's a big one for me okay cool
1: yeah for whatever reason it was one that when I by the time it got to me it just it just didn't do it for me so I was thinking uh, for our work we's probably old news like young guys would probably just open up YouTube and there's like you know, there's you know dudes talking about hopping all around the world and giving you know clear information and it's visual you know like uh, yeah, you know, I think like a book, <laughs> like four hour work week is probably it's probably just an a, a outdated, almost like an outdated medium. Uh, it
0: is. I think of the three, if we're talking about the game, four hour work week, and Think and Grow Rich, four hour work week is probably the most dating itself the quickest because, you know, he's saying earn USD, spend pesos. Um, he's saying get a virtual assistant. And all these things that were really groundbreaking concepts back in two thousand eight or even two thousand twelve or even two thousand and sixteen. But now it's so commonplace. But he was ahead of the trend. But yeah, it might not yeah, it might not make your mind explode, but it's um I think there's still value to it if anyone yeah. hasn't read it. Yeah, it's been it's been a while for me. But anyway, yeah, so that was it. That was it. Once I had that book, I was I there
1: was I was mentally checked out. I was like I'm in not a not a dead end job, but I'm in a career that gives me no excitement. And so once I saw there was a change and and the rewards were way better than you know trying to get a promotion and get like a 20% raise cuz I I'm now a fucking middle manager. Like that's I just, that was just a shitty life track. So uh yeah, so <laughs> Once I saw that, and you know, having scalable income and and all that, I was way more just just a a, just
0: an objectively better life path. So you uh, you convince these plumbers to to build their websites, yeah, and you use that money to make your way to Brazil. Yeah, yeah, Brazil, and we were talking offline about how. Even in 2022, no one goes to Brazil, but no. from 2015 to 2017, there must have been no one in Brazil, <laughs> Me- meaning no green. Yeah, there was three of us. There was three of us. So I went, <laughs> I went
1: in 2013. I took a sabbatical from work. Uh, I came up with a real interesting, anyway, forget about the details, but I spent six months in Brazil. It was after I had four hour work week you know, I did the dream line and it was like, what do I want to do? And I couldn't think of anything, man. I was coming from a town of thirteen thousand people. I wasn't really there wasn't really that much encouragement to to dream. Like you know, we grew up check to check, so it was just make it to the next payday. Was like the mentality of 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 like you know what I grew up in and what most people around me were doing. uh, Make it to the next paycheck. And so when when I had a piece of paper, what do I want to do? What do I want to be? And what do I want to have in the dream line exercise? It it was hard, man. I mean, I sat on that for probably weeks. And what I came up with was, I'm going to go somewhere tropical and learn how to surf. So that took me to search, my friend Google, best places to surf. Okay, South Africa. Okay, Bali. Okay, somewhere called Santa Catarina, Brazil. And I'd always kind of had an affinity to South America and Latin America. Like when I was in preschool, I memorized all the countries in South America. Even even the ones in, you know, like the northeast part, like Guiana, French Guiana and Suriname, like those ones that, that always get looked over. I, I had memorized all those countries. I always thought Brazil is interesting. People tell me I look like I'm Brazilian growing up, like whatever the hell that means. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, man, I want to check out Brazil. And, you know, like I always heard, like there's a bunch of pretty girls there. So I'm like, man, I want to check this out. Uh, so I went down there. I spent like six weeks there. And, man, it was a blast. It was such a fun time. Went out, surfed. I made local friends. I didn't speak a word. I went down there thinking, oh, I mean, everyone must speak English. (laughs) Man, I was wrong. Uh, I couldn't have been more wrong. I rented an Airbnb. And this is early Airbnb days when it was good. And fortunately, I couldn't talk with the lady who I was renting from. And uh, fortunately, her son spoke pretty good English and he ended up being my buddy and my translator for about my first two weeks in town. Uh, And he's like, he's like, Oh, you know, you should do this. You should go to this place, go to that place. So I'm just being a tourist going around town, visiting beaches, going, going to shops and stuff. I had found a surf instructor ahead of time. So I was going out taking surf lessons. He's like, take this, take this bus tour. And so I take a bus tour and the girl is like, the girl that's doing the tour, I'm like, she's pretty cute. She's about my age. I'm like 25 at this time. And I'm, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to Mac, but like, I don't speak the language and her English is like real minimal. Right. And, uh, and so I get her on like WhatsApp or I think it was Facebook. This is, this wasn't even IG. So I like had her on Facebook or WhatsApp or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hitting her up with Google translate after I do the tour. She says, Hey, uh, do you want to go? It's my friend's birthday. Do you want to go out with us? I'm like, okay, cool. Cause you know, I don't have anything to do. I just, literally don't know anybody around. So I go, to, I go to a birthday party and, uh, I end up staying up. I meet her friends, her group of friends as a group of guys, my age and they speak English. And I'm like, this, this is the first people I've met that speak English. This is great. And they're, they're all telling me like, Hey Joe, you know, one day we're, we're going to take you out one day. You came here to visit but just the guys cuz all our girlfriends are here. So I go out with these guys one day, man, and you know I'd said that I was I was like, you know, in the in the pickup thing in Texas. And man, that first time I went out to a club in Brazil, man, I walked in and I looked around. I just had a big smile on my face. I was like, I cannot believe how fine <laughs> all the women in here are. So that was a man, that was a fun fun first night. Uh, just everyone's friendly, you know, no, like bad attitudes. Uh, this is, this is Florianopolis, Brazil. Uh, Mm -hmm. and man, having local friends to just like, you know, talk us into any club, had a fun time out meeting new people. Uh, and I ended up just like having a, a rager with these guys staying out till the sun came up. I remember at one point my friends got in a big argument because we were like, you know, we're like spending money and these guys had some startup that they were all involved in the same startup and they're out like buying bottles. They're like, hey, you know, we got to work. We don't have all this money to be spending. My friends get in a big fight and we like split up. And half of us go to this other club that's like 30 minutes away. And it looks like we're walking into uh, into like a music festival, huge parking lot, just Like, you know, just like a grass parking lot in just a big outdoor area. Florianopolis is known for these. I get out and there's like, you know, just like dudes pissing in the parking lot. All the guys are wearing shorts and sandals. All the girls are dressed to the nines. And (laughs) (laughs) it's just how it is. (laughs) It's just how it is. And, uh, and And we were all in there. It's just like every club we went to was just like better than the next one. So we end up hopping like three or four clubs. In the night when the sun comes up, all friends together. And I just remember thinking, like, man, like, I, I can't believe people just live like this. Like, this is this is crazy. I'm used to bars closing at 2 and then maybe we can find an after-hour spot until 4. You know, this is – it was just so much better than anything I had seen my first time going out in Florida. So that was, uh, that was a really, really good time. Uh, it's only been since last year since I went back. You know, things changed. Everything ages. Uh, but yeah, that, that was uh, really, really good. So I always wanted to go back after that. And so I went back, lived there in 2015, and really randomly got connected with two American guys. One was, uh, was my homie who I met him there. And he had been surfing all around like Central America, real serious surfer. Uh, he's still living in Brazil. And he just went there because Florianopolis is one of the best places to surf. If you're trying to surf regularly, uh, it's, it's one of the best places really in the world to do it. Uh, and then another friend, the other guy, he had met his now wife in Tahoe. So her, her family went on vacation there. He met her there and they like stayed in touch for a long time. And he started working online and went down there and was living there. So it's like three of us this is 2015 three of us living there and uh, they're, they're the other two guys are still living in Brazil and that community's grown a bit. I was in floripa about this time last year summer of 2022 and dude, I'm walking around I'm in the coffee shop and I just hear like white girls talking you know you know what I mean when I say white girls talking. This is a Latin America podcast. you know you hear that upspeak going and I'm like, yo man we just got like 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 basic white bitches in in Brazil now. This is crazy because it was just so undiscovered at the time. So it's uh it's changed a lot, man. It's definitely changed a lot. Florianopolis is also the one <laughs> I should say, you know, my first time going, I was concerned about crime. If you look at the crime rates in Brazil, they're like really, really high compared to anything that we're used to. And, you know, a lot of it is it is You know like between gangs but like robbery armed robbery is super high almost everywhere in brazil Uh, but florianopolis is very safe because it's an island that only has two bridges connecting it to the the continent and the island itself is really expensive so if you don't have money you literally just get pushed off of the island and it's it's like not easy to access if you you know if you're if you're thinking like hey i'm gonna go onto the island and rob people It's just not that good. It's like, it's not a good hustle. It's not like Rio where the favela is just floating above Zona Sul and, you know, people come down and and like rob tourists. It's not that kind of setup. So Floripa is really safe. And so right now, Floripa, I mean, there's probably 50 times the amount of foreigners in Floripa now that there were when I went before. Like it was three of us. Mm -hmm and then one one american guy who owns a coffee shop and one british guy who owns a bar like older a little bit older guys my buddies josh and simon and that was it <laughs> that was the whole that was the whole island there was le- definitely less than 10
0: americans living on the island full time and now there's whew, lots and so you live on the island more or less full time for like 2 years no i lived on the island full time like maybe a year and 3 months how, how much leave. time in total, I guess? Is, oh, yeah. I long. went in 2015.
1: I went back. Living in Brazil is hard. Man, living in Brazil is such a pain. They have like a, a nomad visa now, but a friend of mine just got it, and it took him about six months. So even getting the nomad visa is like a huge amount of bureaucracy. He had to hire a lawyer and everything. It was a big mess. Uh, but living in Brazil is hard. So I went – I was 27 I went and got a student ID. <laughs> so I uh, I took one awesome. class. I had to go back to the U.S. So I just left in the winter because it's cold there in the winter anyway. I just went back to the U.S. And I like I was uh, visiting family and, uh, and visiting friends in Texas. And I had to go to the Texas, the, the Houston-Brazil consulate. And I went through the whole problem. It was a huge pain in the ass. But I got a student ID, and I took one Portuguese class. I think I showed up for class maybe twice, uh, but I had to enroll in university to get a student ID that so that I could legally live in Brazil. All in all, it wasn't it wasn't like worth doing, uh, but that
0: was that was how I did it back then. Um, mm-hmm. A the student visa is the original digital nomad visa. I feel yeah yeah yeah.
1: It's nice the countries are doing it, but the thing is, all these countries are. I mean, I don't want to talk bad about places that I enjoy living, but they're really banana republics when you get to it. So they'll say, hey, we have this, this visa, you know, all you have to do is show proof of this much income and health insurance. But the process of actually getting the visa, you know, you you need a few bureaucrats to, to do their job. And man, you're talking about South American bureaucrats doing their job. That is hard to do, you know, unless you have a lawyer that's going to grease the wheels for you. Not easy to do. So I think it took me like four or five months to get that visa Mm -hmm. sorted. It was a huge pain. So I was in the U.S. for for a while, like between 2015 and 16. Uh, But also it was winter, so I wasn't in a huge hurry to to get back. So you get a student visa, went back to Brazil, spent like another 10 months there. I think I spent like five months and then spent another 10 months. Uh, And at that time, I was going back to the U.S., stopped in Mexico
0: City, Planned for 10 days, ended up staying there for like three years. So <laughs> we'll get on to Mexico, but I want to stay on Brazil. I want to stay on magical moments. And I have a question for you. Said So you said you did kind of pop back up to uh, Pittsburgh, I guess it would be. Yes. Uh, or, or would it be Columbus? Pittsburgh. I'm you' So you're popping up to Pittsburgh and Columbus. You got your buddies back home. You were telling them about all these magical moments. I'm guessing you couldn't really convince them to um, make a change in their life, and I think a lot of people can relate to relate to this, where you know you're at some point you're going to have to walk this path alone. Um, could you kind of talk about that, trying to convince them and and that kind of thing? Yeah. So I go back to my hometown. Like I said, 13,000 people.
1: Half my friends there are still dating their high school girlfriends. Now we're in our late twenties, so their high school girlfriends getting fat. It is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is, right? And and uh, you know we all play sports. So we all we all keep it like you know we all keep it, keep it in shape ourselves. Everyone and and there's not much economic opportunity. So first I went to Texas and I got a much better paying job because I was willing to move to a place with opportunity. And then I found a way to replace that income digitally. You know, working from home. And then I found a way to make my life more adventurous and more fun by living abroad, and so I'm going back. I'm telling the guys, "Hey, look, I set you know, I set up a business. I do this type of consulting. I learned it all on YouTube and like a few courses that I bootlegged. Um, you know, I took some sales training course. I had to learn how to do sales. Uh, you know, I'm 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 living by the beach, doing marketing and sales, and, and I'm showing them. You know, I'm showing them some pictures. Girls, you know how guys are." Showing some pictures of girls that I met down there, and all these guys just look at me with an absolutely blank face like, oh, that's nice. There's no interest. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's fear or if it's like, I don't, or what it is that doesn't motivate people to live life, but I would say maybe, maybe one out of five friends showed a little bit of interest and zero out of all my friends actually cared to do something about it. So it's just like a way where you, it's just a time where you say like, okay, these were my friends at this point in my life. And then like, we've gone separate ways. They're not interested in what I'm doing. And and maybe they think the same thing about me. Like, man, he's not interested in, in what I'm doing uh, either. But I, I, it, for me, it's hard to understand how that would not be exciting to someone. But it's not man maybe uh, I don't know maybe there's something in the water something's uh, causing a chemical imbalance in the water or something <laughs> I don't I don't get it either bro but you experience the same thing right I experience hundred percent the same thing just no interest you can you can tell them the best stories and I'm trying to keep my stories like PG PG13 right now but mm-hmm. you can give them the best stories tell them everything you've been up to all this fun adventure, you know, living life, how you can make more money, making more money, experiencing new cultures, things beyond what I dream, things beyond, like literally shit out of hip hop lyrics that we listened to growing
0: up, (laughs) literally, and just nothing, just no interest at all. Have you found any technique to, to, to spark them a bit or you you just gave up? Oh, I just gave up. I mean, you, and, and also, like,
1: what I value doesn't need to be what other people value. I, I started, I'm i starting to understand that now that I'm a little bit older. It used to be, like, when I was younger, I wanted to push my way of life on people because I believed that my view of the world was closer to the truth. And I thought, like, no, it's in, it's inherently better to, uh, to make more money, to have more freedom, to to have more adventure, to gain more culture, to get a bigger view of the world. For a long time I thought that, but I, you know the the more I see things and the more I see how how happy people are in different parts of the world, like why every time I walk past a, a Paraguayan construction crew here, these guys all seem happy. And when I was working in a factory, the middle managers, uh, the engineering managers, guys who make like like 250 to 350,000 a year, all miserable and all the Mexican immigrants who were working field jobs making like 25 to 35 bucks an hour were all really happy. And it just makes me think that like gaining a larger view of the world or having to compare against expectations probably negatively affects your happiness. It does make you achieve more because you have that desire and desire is just a an agreement to be unhappy until you reach a goal. Uh but but I think uh, having a smaller view of the world and actually an amount of ignorance actually is bliss. Uh, and so I think if I were to push my lifestyle on like my oldest friends from growing up, I think if they came down here and lived my life for a year, uh, especially if they went back to their lives after a set amount of time, I think they would probably become less happy because they would, one, realize that how much they were missing out on and to realize like they would have already done it. So the dream is over because I've already done the thing. Like I've already done the thing. I've already lived around the world. I've already, uh, built a business. I've already done it. Whereas like the, you know, the, the old method, which is pretty much failed at this point. Uh, I don't want to talk about economics too much, but the old method of like, you know, work hard and save your money so you can have a live in your golden years, like live out, live out your golden years. Great. Um, Obviously, that's ending, but that's a very good appeal to keep people like doing something that they, they don't want to do because they're chasing an imaginary tomorrow. Uh, they, they still have the, the dream of a better tomorrow, but they're never actually getting it. And when you just say, well, I'm going to shortcut that process by 40 years by, by replacing my income and going and doing the thing that I want to do while I'm 25, you've now done the thing. And now you have to say, well, what the fuck am I going to do now? And it's actually much harder to find happiness after you do that. Does that whole concept that I'm putting together make sense? It's a, it's a hard thing to explain. Yes. I, I have uh, very similar ideas. Yeah. So, so I think that now after in, and what I'm talking about is true in my life, having done these things, having, having lived, you know, like I make my list, this is what I want to do over the next five years. And I, I do at least say I, I write down five things. Maybe I get three of them done. It makes me less. My happiness is is lower because I've already done it. And so you have to find new things to pursue uh, to to main to stay happy. But, um, yeah,
0: I think I think you're showing a good level of maturity just to say you know my truth isn't necessarily their truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it's hard because I would be like my friends would. I'll give a more
1: concrete example of this. Like my friends would invite me back like, Hey, I'm, I'm getting married. And I'd be like, man, getting married is retarded. Do you have any idea what the stats on that are? And <laughs> it really wasn't until last year I went, I took five, six years off of going to any weddings. And I realized I went to my friend's, my friend's wedding last year. This is actually in Floripa. And I realized, man, it doesn't mean anything to me. Like to me, it's like, Hey, I have, the, I have this great relationship with my girlfriend. You know, we're, we have, you know, we're loving, she's caring. all this. So let's get the government involved. I would like, wouldn't this relationship be so much better if the government was involved to me, that's marriage, just marriage, you know, relationships that, that can work fine. But why does the government need to be involved? Uh, and so I always thought that like the actual ceremony was stupid, but I realized, and I still do, uh, but I realize that it has value to, you know, the people that are doing it. And so it matters to me
0: because it matters to my friends. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. D- does it ever get like borderline depressing when you, you go home and you know, the buddies have settled down with, uh, these girls that might have tattoos might be a little overweight. Um, <laughs> and you're just like, dude, you could do so much better in Brazil.
1: Uh, no, man. Ignorance is bliss. So it's, it's
0: better for them to just dream about it. Just imagine what their life could be than to actually do it. Have you ever had anyone visit you in like eight, ten years abroad? Mexico, yes. Yeah, yeah. One of my – oh, man.
1: I got a – yeah, yeah. A uh, good friend of mine who s- stayed in my hometown – but he's he's pretty smart. Like he has a he owns a, a local business. He even he even trades uh he got real into trading shit coins, but he made some money doing it. So he was kind of worldly, but he just stayed in stayed in our hometown. He came and kicked it with me in Mexico City for a while.
0: So one friend in eight, ten years. Yeah, from yeah, yeah. From from like high school. Yeah, friend from high school, yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the realities of this is um, you're – it's not that you want to like detach from your previous life, but it just kind of happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it.
1: Yeah, you just have to accept that it happens. But I will say like I'm in Buenos Aires now and I spent the last – I came here September. So I've been here like three months, four months now. One, two, three, four. Damn, I've been here four months now. And before that, I was all around Brazil for like the last year and change. That's why I'm saying the Wi-Fi is bad, man. Dude, Northeast Brazil, you, man.
0: Oh, you've been doing <laughs> you, you're all good. good, good.
1: You'll go to fucking four different coffee shops before you find one that you can get 20 megabyte up uh, download speed on. It's it's bad. Uh, but but I went. I mean, I was going all around North Northeast, especially the South is definitely better. Uh that maybe that's why I'm so negative on Wi-Fi <laughs> it was that region. But the thing about can I, can I not- hit a little a quick oh sorry, go ahead if you have a thought. Uh yeah, my point is is I like being in Buenos Aires to meet other Americans who are who are like into Wi Fi money and digital entrepreneurship. That's to me the biggest benefit of Buenos Aires is is that it's a pretty nice walkable city. Um but like no one is friends with the locals here. No one, no non Argentinian is friends with Argentinians. There's none. Uh, I hang out with my trainer and that's it. So I just hang out. With, that's the only Argentinian friend I have is my trainer. Cause we see each other almost every day. Uh, mm-hmm. but it's not like Brazil, right? Brazil. I like make friends with the guys from Jitsu. Uh, and like we all hang out together in every city I've been in, uh, here it's not like that, but it's very good for meeting dudes. And like, you know, you have to meet. You always have to meet people who are on the same path as you. So high school, college, and your early, your early like corporate career. Like I was a junior engineer. It's easy. You fall right in line with those people. They're already lined up for you to meet. Uh, but here's a very good place to do that. And like all that that year and change that I was in Brazil, I met almost no one new. Uh, like I had a couple nomad friends come to visit me here and there, but I wasn't really meeting new people. So Buenos Aires is very good for meeting new, meeting new people. Right. It's a hub. People come here. People have been coming to Buenos Aires, I think for like 15, 20 years. It's, it's not new four hour work week. Yeah. 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 It was a big highlight in the four hour work week. Uh, it, it's, so it's a really good hub for meeting, uh, for meeting other foreigners. You don't get much of like a cultural experience. I only know one guy, I've met one guy here who's into Argentinian culture and his mom is Argentinian. So he's like, he's American, but he's half Argentinian. He's the only person I know that's spent any time, like significant time with Argentinians, they're pretty much, they're not really open. They're friendly on the surface, but they're like Argentinians don't really invite you to do anything. Um, mm-hmm. They're not, they're not friendly, really. Like they're not very welcoming you just Americans just end up living in a bubble, you know, the, the neighborhoods Palermo. So we all like, we live in Palermo. It's a bubble where you might go to a rest, like <laughs> you go to a restaurant at seven 30, it's all Americans because Argentinians don't go out to eat until 10. Uh, right. So we just like, even if you're trying to make an effort, you're not going to get out of the bubble in Argentina. And I just, I just had to accept at least that. not in
0: Palermo. <laughs> Yeah, I get yeah. man. Maybe if you go to Mendoza or Salta or something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Do you really want to go
1: make friends, hang out with the locals of Salta? <laughs> is, that really, is that what you always dreamed of? <laughs> I love Salta <laughs> for ecotourism, uh, but I, like <laughs> Salta is probably the most depressing nightlife I've ever seen. It really? Is, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Give us a quick aside on Salta Nightlife. Uh, uh,
1: okay, I would say that everyone there. Uh, you know how I was talking about like my friends from high school and, and like their girlfriends. It's like that. <laughs> but they're
0: all at a club in Salton. Those those same people that have all known each other. That's actually hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, so I guess it kind of It's an interesting question you're talking about, which is authentic LATAM experience versus gentrified gringo vortex zone that has good networking. Yeah. and So that might be Buenos Aires, Medellin, Playa del Carmen, Mexico City, maybe Panama City uh, versus a more authentic experience, maybe going to the Cordobas or the Pueblas of the world. Yeah. And, and like my friends who have been in Latin
1: America for a while, this is this is a mental shift that I'm dealing with is my friends who have been doing Latin America like three, four, five, six years. They all hate the new, you know, the new Americans showing up. They don't speak no Spanish. I don't know where everyone's from, but all these guys up speak. They always talk like this. Oh, my God, we're going to go to the cafe and then we're going to go to the thing. I don't know where these dudes are coming from that talk like this. I never saw them in in Pittsburgh or in Texas. Uh, I guess they're coming from New York, but it's definitely not dudes that I hung out with when I was in the U S. So it's weird that I see them now in Mexico city and Buenos Aires. And, uh, and and so the, the knee jerk reaction to with that most of my friends who have been in Latin America for a long time is they hate it because these guys come they're you know, now we're not so special in the eyes of like the, the, for our dating options, we're not like this exotic foreigner because now there's just a whole bunch of dudes added to the market. Uh, the cost of Airbnb is—I mean, this one sucks—but the cost of Airbnb's gone up like four or five times since 2020, since since mm-hmm. uh, the pandemic, it's just gone up an insane amount uh, because the demand for short-term rent is so high, and then like they've added hotel taxes. There's there's a couple things going on there. But short-term living is way more expensive because Americans are terrible travelers too. You know, they show up, they don't, they don't negotiate, they don't try to get a deal. They literally just say, "That's cheaper than it costs in the U.S.," and just just book a place. Uh, and so it's easy to say, like, "Man, all these fucking gringos showing up, they're ruining things." You know, everything used to be better, used to be cheaper, used to be, uh, used to have better dating options. Generally, things are getting worse. Now, the other side of that is like maybe. Of all the of all the new people that started traveling post pandemic, and that's the majority. That's probably like eighty percent of foreigners in in like those cities that you mentioned. You you nailed the four hotspots: Mexico City, Playa, Medellin, Buenos Aires. And um, dude, like I said, Florianopolis just filled up. I couldn't believe how many how many gringos were there because it's the only safe place in Brazil. Uh, and there, there's so many, but it does create an opportunity to, even though you you have a less authentic lifestyle and locals will put you in that foreigner category, it's, it's hard to, it becomes an us versus them thing. It still gives you an opportunity to meet people who are working on dope projects who like, who are ambitious and, and are, are working on cool stuff while you're still getting most of the benefits that you used to have from living abroad. So I try to always take an optimistic view on things. I know pessimism is easier. Like it's always easier to just get negative. Oh, these guys are these guys are fucking up the Airbnb prices. But I got to say in my few months in Buenos Aires, I have met some dudes that like I definitely want to stay friends with over time, like people who who are like really impressive in uh, you know in, in the marketing space, tech, real estate space. So it is a benefit. Uh, I, you know, I know probably most people who are OGs don't like the new influx, I just take the good with the bad,
0: you know, everything, everything in life is a trade off. Right. Cause we complained about, we complained about low IQ before. Yeah. And I mean that, that comes with a bit of a a price tag, still cheaper than being an SF. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And like, man, I definitely make friends everywhere. I've been in Brazil. I make,
1: I make local friends. A lot of my friends, a lot of my Brazilian friends are entrepreneurs. They have businesses, mostly local businesses and that's definitely cool, but it's a totally different type of business than what I have. You know, I'll look over their Instagram and be like, oh, Yo, you need to be posting more reels. But like, <laughs> that's about the most I, I'm going to tell them. Like, yeah, uh, you need to, you should make better content. Hire a hire a college intern to do your reels for you and, and mm-hmm. post them on TikTok and shorts too. Just like real simple stuff. But like, you know, that's not the main focus of, of their local business. So uh, it's cool to meet people who are like more on the same path as me. And then I can like, you know, like fuck off to some unknown city in like Cordoba. And, and if I want to get the
0: more authentic experience, go like spend a, a little time there. So you, uh, you mentioned something offline that I do want to dig into. Yeah. Which is that Argentina is not the spot. It's just cheap. Do you and want to elaborate I, on that a bit?: Yeah, in my opinion, yes. Um, like I was saying,
1: like you just live in a bubble here, and I think probably most travelers prefer that. Like people just people want to do exactly what they do at home, but they just want like their waiter to have an accent and be like, "Oh, look at this, it's so much different." That's really what I think most Americans want. And so do like average American do come to Argentina. Argentina doesn't check a lot of boxes other than being safe, walkable, and cheap. Uh, those would be the boxes it checks. The ecotourism here, if you like mountains, is good. Uh, we just did Badi Loche over, over uh, Christmas and New Year. It's really beautiful out there. Uh, Salta is nice. Um, Puerto Mendoza will look nice. I haven't been to either one yet. Uh, Argentina, I think it, it could be okay, but. The big thing is if you're trying to live somewhere, if you want to have a cultural experience, I don't think Argentina is the spot. Mexico really was the spot, but I don't know how strong the us versus them culture has gotten in Mexico City because I've been gone for a while. Uh, I definitely had local friends and got into local Mexican culture when I was living there. But there's an extreme, well, from what I hear, there's a lot of negativity towards Americans. They have an immigration problem of Americans coming to Mexico and gentrifying the nicest neighborhoods. So Mexicans get pushed out. Uh, So I believe and I'll have to test this because maybe it's not as bad as I thought, but I believe. And also like, oh, my gosh, okay, (laughs) I go into dating topics too quick. We're going to not get into that. Uh, But there's there's a lot of uh, jealousy between like Mexican guys and American guys showing up. Uh, look up the word malinchista or malinchi, and then you can see the story on that. Um, but I believe there's a very strong us versus them in Mexico City. That's always been the case in Playa and uh, Playa and Cancun. But I think that's really growing. So Mexico was the spot to 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 get a really good cultural experience. It may be elsewhere in Central America now. Man, um, I, mean, I don't even know about Colombia, because I think Colombia is probably the most dangerous place in terms of the severity of what can happen to you there. It's probably the most dangerous place Mm -hmm. in South America. Like, you know, someone might pull a gun or a knife on you in Brazil and take your wallet and phone, but Colombia, the risk is, is getting drugged with GHB, which at the wrong dose can kill you and robbed of everything, including your crypto, if you have your key phrase on you, and getting into your bank accounts and liquidating your bank accounts, so... Uh, where do you get a cultural experience? Damn, <laughs> I guess I just crossed off. Uh, I guess I just crossed off uh, uh, Argentina. I just kind of crossed off Colombia,
0: or at least the risk—the risk of bad things happening in Colombia—is very high. I would I, say I Mexico. Think Mexico is still good. I mean, yeah. dude, I'm still pulling up to yeah. Taquerias and sitting on plastic chairs, plastic table, oh, plastic so plates. Yes. That's that's all I need.
1: Oh, man, that does sound
0: good. I guess Mexico outside of the Yucatan
1: and outside of Mexico City, there's really not much. Uh, this is funny, man. Mexico City had COVID laws so strict. Dude, I thought I was going to get my Uber account banned because <laughs> I was getting reported. This This guy had his nose out of the mask. Like little stuff. I, I like I was getting reported for not using hand sanitizer. You know, like it was crazy. Uh so I was trying to I was trying to make Mexico work. This is like twenty twenty one, early twenty twenty one. And I can I was convinced <laughs> I, I was doing jiu-jitsu in Mazabon and one of the guys from my gym, he had an MMA fight in Durango, Mexico. And so me and the crew, Jake and them, we went to uh we went to see to see our homie fight, and uh, we were in Durango like forty eight hours, and I don't know what it was, but I, I just had no expectations for it, and I was like, "This is kind of a nice city." Like I think we found we found like a nice restaurant. We definitely had good food, of course. Anywhere in Mexico, you can. Uh, we went out one night, and like people seemed friendly and open. And I had this idea. I was like, "Dude, I think I might have found a gym." So I convinced two other friends like yo guys let's hit up Durango. Let's go do Durango for a week. And and a couple of the of the Mazalon guys were like we were getting excited cuz you know Mazalon's boring. <laughs> Mazalon's boring like there's nothing to do in, in Mazalon. So I get a couple friends like yo man let's go do a big weekend Durango. We get to Durango, dude. I thought Mazalon was boring. It it Durango has absolutely nothing to do I mean you can get the authentic experience but there's nothing going on we went out we went out uh, like Friday and Saturday night and we knew everyone from the the social scene by Saturday night we had already talked to everybody <laughs> it was like there was just nothing going on there and it and, and I mean we it was like a weekend off so we were just like out, like you know, bar crawling in the afternoon on uh, on Saturday, Saturday and Sunday, and there was just absolutely like nothing to do in that town. And on top of it, when you walk down the street, there's dust because you're like out towards the desert, it's West Mexico, and so you're just walking down the street, and the
0: wind blows, and dust just blows in your face. <laughs> so- and like, uh, what's it called? Uh, like a hay bale thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it comes, yeah. comes rolling in. Yeah, that's Durango, Mexico. I there right. was a time when I thought
1: that was going to be cool. Uh, I mean, you can go; it's it's good to explore, but uh, as far as having the authentic experience,
0: man, these phew, these small towns are like they, they small cities still have it, but. I think you want to do it in a small town with nature, right? So, like, yeah. San Cristobal de las Casas comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a little more backpackery now. Mm-hmm. But you got to do one that's, like, in the mountains or, or near some nature. Oh, man. San Cristobal in uh, in Chiapas. Yeah?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing. It's been a couple of years. I went to Chiapas. I have kind of a funny Chiapas story. I went. And, uh, like, for anyone listening, Chiapas, Mexico is... It's on the Guatemala border. And it's the like the least discovered part of, of Mexico. There's a lot of forest. There's a, a tribe, for lack of a better word, there's like a tribe of people there called Zapatistas. And so Chiapas is extremely dangerous to rent a car and drive around because you'll be driving and there's just a series of speed bumps on the road. And then maybe there's like a gate and there's a guy there and he'll be like, hey, it's it's like five hundred pesos to go past there's no reason why they just have a gate and there's a guy collecting money so if you go with a guide the guide is gonna be like no no i only have this and they'll do their thing and then you're gonna be okay he'll pay him like a little bit if you go as a foreigner now you know these people there's no economic opportunity there either now like the zapatistas organized group know that there's just a group of foreigners in a rent, rental car that are just perdido just lost driving around And this guy, might he's going to punk you. He's going to say, give me 20 bucks to to drive through, like 500 pesos. And you just hand it to him because that's how foreigners are. Like, okay, this guy's a sucker. And he's going to radio his friends. Hey, we got a sucker. He's coming your way. He'll be there in 20 minutes. (laughs) So. (laughs) so, Quick, set up a roadblock. Yeah. yeah, So Chiapas is known for Zapatistas. uh, And it's known for for I think like the average resident or average adult in um, in Chiapas Mexico drinks 2.1 liters of Coca-Cola per day. Fact check me on that stat, but it's like the highest It's a lot. It's, a lot. it's the highest in consumption. Yeah. You're correct. in the world. So <laughs> that's what's going on in Chiapas, but it's also a really really beautiful unique place. And so I tried to organize I I, I did I organized a tour with like a group of friends. But it was very hard to get details of what the tour was going to be. It was four of us. And I was trying to organize like a private tour. And I didn't even know until like the day before the tour that it wasn't a private tour, that there was other people. And I'm like, man, if it's a Mexican family, you know, it's like four of us were we're young, we're adventurous. If it's like a Mexican family, they're going to be moving slow. And like, you know, it might might make the whole thing less cool. It ended up being other young people, uh, two Mexicans and two Americans. And we like we didn't talk that much uh and like the first two days of or the first day of the tour we didn't talk that much we spent most of the time in the car and like we left at like 4 a.m to get started so we were like all kind of sleepy um the first day was really chill so the second day we like all meet up at breakfast it's like uh, it's two people from california two mexicans from mexico city and then the four of us and we like kind of start okay. to get to know each other, start to get like a little bit looser with each other. And then we're going to uh, like a really famous ruin site. I actually don't want to say what it is, uh, but we're going to like some ruins that are on a lake on the the Guatemala Mexico border. I'll say what it is
0: called. Was this with Jake
1: Nomada? No, no, it wasn't with Jake. It was okay. with okay. Martin. It was with Martin and my buddy Dana and his wife Anton. Uh, mm-hmm. but this is common. They're called Yaxchilan I'll say what they are. It's called Yaxchilan
0: ruins. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. We're, we've we're, talked about the, the, this one on Twitter, actually. Oh shit. All right. Well, let me, Jake. Yeah. Jake's been there. Yeah. And,
1: uh, so we're like, you know, there's, there's the eight of us. We're in, in the tour bus. We're going and I'm sitting, it's like three rows, big, big van or bus or whatever. And, uh, and I'm sitting in the middle row and the, the Mexicans, like the Mexicans, that are on our tour sitting in the back and the Americans are sitting in the front. And the Mexican girl hands me, uh, something that's in a paper towel. And she says, Hey, will you, will you pass this to, to so-and-so up front? And I look at, it, I go, it's a gummy. I go, here, here you go. And I look back and go, I said, Hey, is this, and I make a, I, I, I extend my finger and my thumb on my right hand, to make an l and i say hey is that this is that l and she just kind of gets a little bit red in the cheeks okay yeah, yeah y'all brought l out here it was what's l? it was lucy it was lsd it was an lsd gummy. Okay. <laughs> and i'm like shit all right and and they're like yeah yeah we brought some we brought some gummies and so the guy's like yeah i actually like i get it i like I like organize it. I actually make the gummies myself. So I guess he was really into it. The California guy. I'm like, wow, you're pretty adventurous. And he's like, I mean, like we have a guide and everything. Do you guys want some? And I'm like, well, you know, YOLO. So we all take some. We all take a gummy. And, you know, everything's chill. We're all good. You know, we're like waiting for it to kick in. We're all good. We're We're still just on the tour bus. Everything's normal. We get to the parking lot. Uh, we get out and the tour guide's like, okay, we're going to get in the boat and we'll take the boat to the ruins. Like, okay, cool. We all get in the boat. It's all still pretty chill. And and I'm like, I just feel a little bit different. So we get in the boat and all I can remember from being in the boat is like the, the motor was just loud. Like, brrr, brrr. Man. This this motor's loud. Like I like I hear it. I feel it more. You know, just I'm like a little bit more sensitive to everything. We end up we end up putting music on. Me and the California dude ended up. We had like the same speaker, and you could sync them. So like we just put his music on. We had two speakers. We ended up making it work. And eventually, we get close to where the ruins are, and I start and and they, we pull up on the boat, and I start hearing this like screaming sound and I'm like do they have some type of like in it because you know we're out in Chiapas but a lot of Mexico is like very you know they set it up to be entertainment like theme park type thing I'm like what is it? it it feels like the the King Kong it sounds like the King Kong ride at Disney World what's what is what is that like do they have some machine set up making this screaming noise so that's my guy. And I'm like, what is that? He goes, son los monos. I'm like, it's the monkeys? What? I mean, this thing was so loud and so deep. And, you know, because I had eaten the gummy, I was hearing it in, like, ultra, ultra HD. And I was like, oh, my God. So we get out. And, it, and it, it has this surreal feeling where we're walking into these ruins and just hearing this, I guess it's like a howler monkey, this screaming monkey. And we go across it, I mean it, it feels real it's a real Indiana Jones feeling. And we, we go into the area and we start seeing the ruins, and it's some of the coolest shit I've ever seen. The way that that the ruins are laid out. There was a huge, huge tree that had fallen down like a month prior. It was probably a hundred-year-old tree. I mean, it was enormous like falling down on its side. It was probably as tall as three of me, like, like 20 feet tall. Uh, just you now maybe two of me, like 12 feet tall, like huge, huge trees. So surreal, man. It was, it was one of the coolest trips I've done. Like one of the coolest spots I've been. And it was just funny how it all worked out that, that we were, you know, we, we were, <laughs> you know, just like doing the tour and this dude's like, Oh, take, take this, you know, that stuff like that might happen at a music festival, but it's way cooler when it happens when you're like out doing something adventurous. So fast forward, we, we get real like energetic and chatty. We're like super excited having a good time. And, uh, and after we do the ruins, the guy's like, Hey, we're going to stop by the convenience store. If you guys want to buy some beer or something, and then we're going to go to the camp where like where we camp out at night. And so <laughs> we go to the convenience store, buy a bunch of beers. Cause like, you know, the L gets you feel like real sensitive. So you've got a couple drinks, it kind of cools you down. Uh, and so we, we like have a couple drinks and the, and the guy's like, hey, there's one more ruins we can hit. Do you guys want to go for it? And we're like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So we're drinking in the back of the van. We pull up to these ruins. The next one's bomb Plant. I don't even remember what they're called. And we're probably like five, six beers deep. And. I realized as we're walking up on these ruins, there's like a sound, like a, like a jingling sound. Like you have change in your pockets as I'm approaching these ruins. I go, Oh man, I think I have like four or five crushed up beer cans in my pockets. We're going to like, (laughs) like they had, (laughs) this is like an actual, like historical site. So we're being real gringos at this point, man. We're like, we're, we're deep, deep into boozing. (laughs) Uh, having having drank a bunch of beer and and just being like you know semi we we acted normal but we were very high energy for what we were doing uh we end up going back to the store and uh and back to the and back to the we go back to the store and i think we just rolled up and said like we'll buy all of the beer that you have and we'll just take it because we're going to the campsite so we might as well just buy it all real gringo stuff uh and, uh, <laughs> we go to the camp. we go to the campsite and like, they're going to make dinner for us and they're going to start a fire. So keep in mind, we took like, we ate a gummy earlier in the day. We, uh, we've been, we've been crushing beers since to try to cool it off. And, uh, I'm trying to tell the guy like, Hey, Hey, let's start a fire. And they're like, okay, but we're going to cook dinner. I go, Oh man, don't worry about dinner. Just start a fire. And my Spanish at this point, now, I, I spoke Spanish, but probably I wasn't getting my point across as well as I could. have I probably wasn't articulating as well as I could have been at this point. And so what happens is he takes that as we don't need to cook dinner for anyone. All we're going to do is start the fire. And so an hour passes and all the other people on the tour are like, wow, we're hungry. When's dinner? And the guide says, oh, Joe said that no one needs dinner. And I'm like, oh, oh, shit. (laughs) I was just trying to get him to start a fire. And they ended up, like, canceling dinner. Eventually, I got it all sorted out. But it was hilarious. I was like, man, I was – I went from, like, unexpecting, you know, why are these people, you know, bringing L gummies on the trip to uh, (laughs) – To uh, you know, like the villain of the story, by canceling dinner, we ended up getting it all sorted out. But that was a that was a fun trip that we made. So that was
0: uh, that was Chiapas. That was Chiapas. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you do for online business stuff these days. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, our,
1: our core uh, our core uh, service that we provide is we help grow DTC brands through. Uh, search and paid ads. That's what we mainly do. I, that, I do that under the company Duckweed Media. Uh, had some really good successes in the last years. And uh, what I learned, I've been doing paid ads for shit, four or five years, maybe, yeah, solid five years now. And you know, there's been a trend where, there's a trend going on where the actual media buying, like little tiny automations have been rolled out time after time, and new campaign types that perform really well, that have more automations built in them, have been getting rolled out over the last five years. So that's not a surprise. It's not like, oh my God, AI is going to take my job. Uh, That's the headlines. But the reality is that small automations are taking, uh, taking media buying decisions out of our hands and putting them into the hands of computers that are calculating around the clock and making better decisions than us. So what's my point? My point is that marketing is going from technical media buying to creatives and also the majority of direct to consumer brands spend like the majority of fast growing brands even spend a huge, huge amount of their money on Facebook and Instagram ads funny because there's like a a almost two year narrative that Facebook ads is dead. That's been pushed by people who sucked at them in the first place, not by people who knew what they were doing. So uh, for people who know that they're doing, they've, they've realized, clearly ad creatives are what moves the needle. Having unique ad creatives that speak to all different levels of market awareness and clearly demonstrate your product well and connect with your customers and don't look like ads and all that fun stuff. Now, how do you make those? That is a complicated thing. And that's what I found is because of the automations coming out in media buying, fewer brands are struggling on the media buying end, but every brand, I mean, I've, in the last six months, I've probably audited between 40 and 50, uh, brands had like detailed meetings with 40 and 50 brands. And, uh, Mm -hmm. I can't think of many, uh, maybe less than five of those really did a good job on their creatives. Meaning like the things that I mentioned before, they're speaking to all different levels of awareness in the market. Uh, they're capturing people's attention. They're holding people's attention and they're demonstrating how the product works. They're using, uh, demonstrating the right benefits of the product based on feedback from, from uh, their reviews. And so we, uh, we've built out a process. It's a pretty long process because the space, the paid ad space has got competitive. We built out a process that we're getting about a 3x ROAS on, or a 3x better return. Uh, sorry, I'm using marketing terms. We're getting about a 3x better return on the ads that we build than most of our clients were getting initially. So if they were putting $1 in and getting $1.50 out, they're like, hey, that's good enough. It's not really good enough. Maybe they were putting $1 in and getting $2 out. Uh, with, our, with what we're doing to build creatives and, and managing their channels, and I'm talking about marketing efficiency ratio, uh, MER, like the money in, total sales. We're able to 3X their return, so it'll be like $1 in. out. And it's just through following this long detailed process of micro testing, all different aspects, using evidence, like what their customers are, are, are telling them, uh, what messaging they have, what the real benefits of their products are. Um, this is mostly higher AOV, like one to $500 AOV. Uh, that's the ideal range that you want to sell through social media ads. And again, most of the spend is on social. Search works, but search is limited. Uh, we're getting a much better return just through going through a longer process, putting more energy and effort into, into finding like what type of content really works. And we test like, like I said, pretty much every, every brand partner we work with was working with a different agency before. Uh, and, and we do probably like four to five times the testing on average of, of what like the guys that we're replacing were doing in the account before. So we essentially just built a a more detailed process. And then we just are willing to do the work. And, uh, and I have put together a really, really good team of, of creators, network of creators to go to, uh, media buyers, creative, creative people, creative, uh, talent to, to handle, uh, that workload because our, our workload is, is significantly more so. And we do that at a little bit higher cost than, than most people do, but the returns are, are there pretty
0: consistently. Yeah, that's my pitch. That's awesome. 16 million in paid ads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't even get to that. <laughs> I know. We're, you know what? I think uh, it, when it comes to getting two long-term nomads on the podcast <laughs> – you roll the dice and it, it could go so many different directions. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll, have to, we'll have to get you back on again. Maybe we'll do one with like you and Martin. Yeah. Uh, and we'll do like the three of us just rambling. Yeah. So I hope uh, hopefully we delivered on our promise of uh, the philosophical ramblings of uh, a couple long-term nomads. I um, hope this was entertaining for people. Again, our guest today was Joe DeGeney. Joe, uh, just tell them again uh, where they can find you, the audience.
1: Yes, if you like hearing me ramble and you want me to ramble via text or if you want me to tell you what's going on with your ad creatives, hit me up on Twitter. It's the best way to reach me, at Joe DeGeney, J-O-E-D-E-J-E-N-E. If you want to talk travel, hit me up on Instagram. My Instagram is in Portuguese. It's Joe Dando Show, J O E.
0: D-A-N-D-O-S-H-O-W. Awesome, man. Well, Joe, thank you for the show today. This has been another episode of the My Latin Life podcast.